in a drought, you're more likely to be concerned with the water that isn't falling from the sky than the water that is below your feet. I'm not talking soil moisture here either. I'm talking about the water table that contributes to the wells and wetlands that have all sorts of uses on ranches, from watering cattle, to creating critical habitat for wildlife, to providing water to do the dishes with. Making sure that water table gets a chance to replenish during a wet year is a great little savings account for your ranch, your neighbors, and your community during a dry year. I'm Derek Leahy, and in this episode of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, we're looking at recharging groundwater. Welcome back to the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions podcast series, Getting Through Drought. The series looks at the best management practices cow-calf producers in Alberta can use to build up their ranch's resiliency against drought. Through the series, we're hoping to increase understanding among cow-calf producers of the BMPs recovering. We also hope to increase producers' confidence in using these BMPs as an effective tool against drought. That all being said, this episode isn't really about implementing a BMP. It's more about understanding how groundwater recharge works so you, as a cow-calf producer, can plan and implement BMPs accordingly. To help us out, we had a chat with Dr. Masaki Hayashi of the University of Calgary. Yeah, I'm uh, Masaki Hayashi. I'm living in Calgary. Uh, I'm a professor at, uh, at the University of Calgary. I uh, teach and research uh, hydrology at the Department of uh, Geoscience. And here is Dr. Hayashi talking about his personal connection to agriculture. But, you know, I grew up in a, a rural area of Japan. Uh, so our house was surrounded by the, uh, the rice field. And uh, my uh, father's family was from a, a, a farming family. So they had a rice field. So every year there's a busy time. Uh, the relatives all gather together to help out, so like in a harvest uh, in the prairies, right? So I remember going to my father's birth house and uh, just hanging out, you know. I was too little to be of any help, but uh, yeah, just <laughs> watching, you know. The, the two two times that's busy, that's one's the harvest, but also the the time when you put the uh, the seedlings of rice in the paddy field is a really busy time. So I remember mm-hmm. going to, you know, the my grandparents' house twice a year there. Just kind of see what they're doing. Next, I asked Dr. Hayashi about the project that he was involved in that is very relevant to this episode. It's called the Groundwater Recharge in the Prairies Project, or GRIP. So the really idea is to understand how, you know, groundwater is recharged. I guess recharged, what that means is, you know, the rain and slow water gets into the soil and eventually that gets down to where groundwater is stored. You know, it's a rather complex process in the prairies because uh, we have such a a dry climate. The moisture that's added to the ground is in a tight balance with the moisture that's lost to evaporation and uh, plant uptake. So it's not as simple as recharging the humid areas or, okay, you got bunch of rain hitting the ground and then some of that goes back to the atmosphere. There's, you know, 20% left to recharge groundwater. Because the process is complex, so we thought that we need to do some scientific research to understand the process and then come up with some uh, models. Uh, so these are 
basically the computer tools where we can estimate amount of recharge based on the weather information and soil types and topography and all those. So that was the kind of essence of the project. No, oh, very cool. So any juicier key findings you can share with us? Yeah, I mean, we kind of knew this uh, going in, but uh, the most important thing that we need to know about uh, uh, groundwater recharge in the prairies is that it doesn't happen everywhere. So yeah, it just happens in a very small fraction of land surfaces. Uh, these are depressions, so just kind of little, you know, dimples uh, on the golf ball, you know, just a little depressions where the snow melt water just kind of form puddles, you know, for a few weeks, maybe a couple months in the spring. Uh, so that's where recharge occurs because, you know, the uh, amount of precipitation in the prairies, let's say somewhere in, in the neighborhood of Red Deer, Calgary, that's only about 400 millimeter. Mm. Right, so it's a, you know, knee high is the amount of water we get from uh, precipitation. But if you walk into those puddles, you know, during the, the spring melt, the puddle could be uh, uh, as high as your thigh or waist. So that is all in addition to what we get from snow melt and rain directly hitting on the ground because that water comes from uh, the land surrounding the depression. So there's a large moisture excess in those small depressions. So that allows, you know, groundwater recharge to happen because there's a mo much more water than it can be evaporated or used up by the plants. That's Dr. Hayashi and his work. Since Dr. Hayashi is a groundwater expert, I took the opportunity to ask him a fairly simple, potentially stupid question, but I was super curious, what exactly is groundwater? Yeah, so moisture in the soil is not groundwater, uh, even though it's a water underground, right? So if you grab a soil, let's say just go out to the farmland now, you know, grab a soil and then you feel it's moist. The soil is definitely not dry, but the water is not dripping out of the soil. Mm. That that water that's uh, tightly held up in the soil pores, it doesn't drip out. That's not groundwater. We call it the soil water or soil mm. moisture. But then, if you go out to let's say a sandy beach, you know, by a river or a lake, and then you start digging the hole in the sand, at one point you see that the water is oozing out into your hole. Mm. So that water that's coming out is uh, groundwater. And then if you leave it long enough, you see that there is this, you know, stable surface of water uh, in the hole, dug in the sand. So that's called a water table. Okay. All right. Thank you for making that distinction. I wasn't too sure there. Right, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean even the scientists get confused. So, <laughs> so the, any groundwater, any water in the soil that's above the water table is considered the soil moisture, and the below the water table is uh, groundwater. Next, I asked Dr. Hayashi if one of the impacts of drought is increased rates of evaporation, since it tends to get pretty hot during a drought. Drought is defined by lack of precipitation. So amount of evaporation is not that different from year to year. Um, okay. So let's say you receive 400 millimeter of precipitation, the plants will take up that 400 millimeter, pretty much all of it. And you get 500, and the plants will take up that 500. So you don't have a so different you know, uh, evaporation from year to year. It's just you know how much rain and snow melt you get. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so there's a certain amount of um, rain and snow melt that you need to form the, depress- uh, the puddles in the depression. When you don't get those puddles in depression forming in, let's say, March, April, and then you don't have a, a good recharge of groundwater, except for very wet years like we had in 2013 and 2014. The reason why we created the Getting Through Drought series was because of the drought and extreme heat of 2021. But in almost every interview we've done for this series, people have mentioned how they felt the dugouts and sloughs were lower in 2022 than they were in 2021. I asked Dr. Hayashi why that would be. To explain it, he quickly pulled up a graph from the Rocky View Well Watch Project in Rocky View County, and we went over some of the data points. So these dots, so these are all individuals uh, measuring the water level in their wells. And some are very, you know, keen, diligent, measure every two weeks. We ask them to measure every month or every couple of weeks. So for example, this fellow here is a rancher and then he's been keeping track of water level in his wells. So this way you can precisely understand if the well has low water level or high water level. So we started this program in 2007. So we actually have a 15 year of record. So each of this kick water level going up. So that indicates the groundwater recharge. So there was a good recharge, 2013, that's the year we had a flood in Calgary. Right. 2014 was also very wet. Uh, lots of snow melt and rain. You see that the water level in his well was going up. And then there were some dry period. Uh, 2015 was dry, the no recharge. 16, 17, 18, uh, there was a bit of recharge, but not much. And then we got a really good recharge in 2019 and 2020. And then 21, nothing. And then 22, not very much. Mm-hmm. So, so th- this is a kind of thing. So really the groundwater recharge is related to the amount of snow melt that forms those depression. So if you don't have a snowpack on the ground, uh, let's say in early to mid-March, uh, so you don't really get much of recharge. And 2021 was a poor year, and 2022 was even worse. Mm. We lost all our snowpack in 2022 by early March, and we didn't get nothing until mid-April. And that's just too warm by the time the mid-April reached. That makes sense, yeah, you're right. I remember last winter that there was barely any snow, and that's why I thought we were gonna get hit by like a mega drought, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was gonna be. But yeah, that makes sense. There was barely any snow that winter. Yeah. So so then, you know, we'll, we'll see how, how it goes, right? This winter, uh, so far we're doing good with uh, building snowpack, but that really d- depends on what happens in January and February. Next, I asked Dr. Hayashi, how long does it take for groundwater to recharge? So there are the two aspects to it, right? So the water level is showing the pressure of water in the uh, aquifer. Aquifer is where the groundwater is stored. So once you have a snow melt in the depression, so the soil underneath the depression thaws. So when the soil is frozen, there's no recharge. And it takes a few weeks for the soil to thaw. And then all the water in the depression starts to go down. And then after that, it only takes maybe a days or weeks to recharge groundwater, if there is that 
you know, puddles uh, on the ground. So that's what we call pressure response. But that doesn't mean that molecule of water you're putting in from the ground is going to travel down to the aquifer in days and weeks. Because actual flow of water is very slow. So it will probably take decades or even centuries for this you know, drop of snow melt you're adding to the ground to reach the aquifer. So it, that process takes a long time. Right here, we get into some of the things cow-calf producers can do to either protect the moisture on their land during a drought or help build up those moisture reserves in preparation for a drought. Drought is a period when the water level is going down in the wells, right? So I think they they need to do whatever they can to conserve water, right? So come up with a way to reduce the, the water use. Well, you know, if you can forecast the drought, even a few months or maybe a half a year in advance, there's probably a lot of things they can do uh, by planning the type of crops or, you know, certain ways how the cattle uh, operation is done. But other than that, it's, it's really difficult when you're in the middle of the drought, you still need to feed your cattle with water. Right. Okay, that's fair. Okay, well, yeah. maybe the next question's a bit better. So, as I said, like in Alberta, it's just we kind of always, well, as you already know, you always should be preparing for a drought. It's not like a if it's going to happen, it's a when it's going to happen question. What are some of the things that ranchers could possibly do to help with that recharge before they get hit by another drought? Yeah, there are some things they could do. For example, if they have control over their lands, so instead of draining these depressions, they can probably keep water in the depressions, even though it's a bit of nuisance uh, in the spring. You know, you cannot seed the depressions when the water is still there. So that delays seeding by a, a month or a few weeks, or you don't seed the depressions at all. So that means you have to go around with your farm machineries. Mm-hmm. But then that will probably enhance the groundwater recharge. So, th- so these are not, the big wetlands. So big wetlands actually receive groundwater instead of recharging groundwater. So these are small puddles. You know, usually they are cultivated over. Um, A lot of times the farmers actually grow crops in these depressions. So I think the preservation of these depressions is probably a good thing for groundwater. Hmm, Interesting. So when when you say depressions, you're not talking about sloughs, are you? No, what we are talking about is uh, so this picture was probably taken right after the snow melt. Mm-hmm. Both would have been sitting there for maybe a three or four weeks. Uh, and after that, uh, that would be gone. Okay. So slightly confusing there since visually podcasts leave a lot to be desired. But the image that Dr. Hayashi was showing me there was an area or a depression on cropland where water pools in the spring... But that water would likely be gone by June, for example, as things warm up during the growing season. Why is it that, this might be slightly off topic, but why isn't that like those major wetlands take from the groundwater as opposed to giving to the groundwater? Oh, so that's the way how the topography works, right? So in this picture, you see that this depression sitting on the highland over here, um, I don't know if you can see my mouse, but uh, just uh, close to the horizon, there is actually a, a lowland here. 
So this is where all the big wetlands are located. Okay, so it's just literally one's higher and the other one's lower. So the groundwater is recharged here and then going towards this, you know, the lowland, and then there will be a, a wetland that's receiving groundwater. I see. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. It would be like finding ways to like trap snow on your land. Would that be sort of ideal too to help recharge groundwater? Yeah, if you trap it in a way so that snowpack will melt and go into the uh, depression, so that will definitely uh, be helpful. Yeah, I know some farmers that try to put more like um, like shrubs or even like trees in some cases just to stop the snow from blowing too far. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think they have reasonable success with it. Yeah. You know, probably the the most important thing is to keep those depressions and then you know fill them up with snowmelt water when there's a. a you know, sufficient snowpack. I was just thinking probably too, I guess you probably want to keep your cows out of those depressions too, because I'm assuming if they stomp around, they're going to like really compact the soil and then they might not be able to drain as well, or, or maybe that's not an issue. I don't know. Probably not. I mean, and then also, you know, the uh, some may be worried about uh, water quality. I mean, the cows mm-hmm. are, you know, stomping around in depression. And if that water is eventually recharging the aquifer, but usually the aquifers are well protected because our sediment has a lots of clay in it. The groundwater flow is very slow, so the uh, bacteria and other things will be removed by the time it gets down to the uh, the aquifer. Awesome. It's like nature's own little uh, Brita yeah. filter there. That's great. Here, Dr. Hayashi provides a few recommendations of the things you might want to consider when it comes to your management practices in relation to groundwater recharge. Because of this, you know, the variability in weather and uncertainty uh, with the future climate, uh, I think they're taking kind of more progressive approach. They pay attention to scientific data, even. Uh, Alvada has a network of uh, uh, agro-climatic stations. That means you know that uh, every county at least has uh, one or two weather stations dedicated to monitor weather for the farmers. Uh, so some are using that, and some uh, actually they have their own weather stations uh, on site. So I, I think that's a good thing for them to pay uh, more attention. And then they know that this, you know, the wet-dry cycle is part of a prairie climate. So you may have a drought for a year or two, but then you're going to have good years uh, uh, after that. Mm. Oh, definitely, definitely. Okay. Yeah. But you know, the aspect, uh, yeah, that was on your question that uh, that didn't get asked is, so the negative impacts of drought on groundwater, and, and it's not just, you know, the their water supply wells. It's bad if water level goes down in household well or the cattle wells but there's more to do more to that uh than that so all this prairie creeks you know there's a lot of creeks uh flowing through the uh the farmed areas and they're tiny um for the size of the watersheds and a lot of them are actually fed by groundwater so mm. during the summer months the ones that have flowed during the summer months are the ones that are fed by springs somewhere in the watershed of those creeks. So if the drought draws down the water levels in aquifers, and that means the spring flow actually might stop, that actually has a negative impact on the creek and everything that lives in the creek. So that's one more reason, uh, you know, why it's important 
to maintain a good recharge by thinking about you know the effective land management okay okay yeah thanks for adding that so the the if i was understanding that correctly so the seasonal creeks will help with um recharging the groundwater yeah okay it definitely does yeah last but not least here are dr hayashi's words of advice to you if you're a cow calf producer or any other type of producer really and you're listening to this right now and you're trying to figure out how to get through a drought don't know if it's an encouragement, but um, it's a cycle. Um, it's not a cycle in the way it doesn't have a definite period. It's not like something happens every five years or 10 years. Mm-hmm. But we know that you know, drought comes you know, every 10 to 20 years, and then the wet period occurs in between. Right. So the last severe drought we had was 2000, 2001, 2002, and three, And then we didn't have a big drought since then. And then... We seem to be having one now. So I think, you know, long-term perspective is probably necessary for, you know, uh, farm management, whether it's to do with, uh, you know, planning for crops or some, you know, financial planning or, you know, uh, adding some resiliency uh, that's not, you know, strongly impacted by the fluctuations in weather. So that would be a good thing to have. I'm just working with... uh, a farmer, a uh, rancher, uh, just east of Calgary, about uh, uh, new ways of you know diversifying uh, the feed supplies by putting winter cover crops. Mm. So those mm. are the kind of things you know, we don't really know if it's going to succeed or if it's going to be really ineffective. But uh, yeah, trying out some of those new things might might be helpful. We hope you enjoyed our ninth installment of the Getting Through Drought series. New episodes from the series will be coming your way very shortly. In the meantime, if you want to learn more about managing the moisture on your land, we have a whole bunch of episodes on this. We recommend listening to episodes 4, 9, 11, 23, and 40. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based initiative empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. Rural Roots runs workshops, farm field days, webinars, and the Regenerative Agriculture Lab, produces a farmer's blog, works with rural communities to develop their own renewable energy projects, and of course, we do this podcast. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. The rest of the amazing and talented Rural Roots to Climate Solutions team is Marie Galanka, Shiana Younger, and Kristen Mountain. The podcast is funded by a variety of Alberta-based funders, and the Getting Through Drought series is largely funded by results-driven agriculture research, or ARDAR. This episode was done in partnership with Young Agrarians. My parts of this episode were recorded in Calgary. So that means they were recorded on Treaty 7 lands and in the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta. And remember, what's good for the climate is good for the farm.